Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? Guess what? This is episode 150. 150. Oh, my goodness. I cannot believe we are crowding three years. It's just unbelievable. We're not quite there yet. And when we are, I'll be doing my annual best of podcast. But for today, um, before I even knew it was kind of a milestone-ish number episode, I had the idea to do this podcast, the one we're going to do, um, What is a Biblical Diet, which kind of in retrospect is funny. Feel, that feels more like an episode one type, you know, <laughs> subject. I think I would have covered this by now. But um, but I think I have in bits and pieces along the way. Um, but I thought it would be, uh, this would be a good one to do right now. I just actually, you know, I go as the spirit move me, moves me and he done moved me to do it on episode 150. And so that's what we're going to do. And I'm glad, you know, I think that I've learned a lot over these years and just had more time to do critical thinking um, over stuff like this. There are a lot of books and differing opinions about what a biblical diet is. I get asked about it, you know, quite often, especially um, those that say, you know, we should be vegans or vegetarians because God put Adam and Eve in the garden. And so his original intent must have been for us to only eat plants, you know, but spoiler alert, we got kicked out of the garden and God gave us meat to eat. You know, not only that, he even specified what kind. So no, I don't think that we are meant to eat just plants. Um, that doesn't mean I am not in favor of doing plant-based, you know, detoxes and taking times to do that. Something like the Daniel plan, I think is very valuable. Um, I even do um, seasonal plant-based detoxes, um, but I don't think it's the way we're supposed to eat all the time. I also don't think that we're only supposed to eat foods mentioned in the Bible. You know, another spoiler alert is that we don't all live in the Middle East. So where those foods grow, um, I just think there are some points, some ideas that have been missed when it comes to critically thinking about biblical eating. So today's episode is probably going to be a little different than you're expecting. Uh, I'm not going to offer you like a straight up list of foods or a dietary outline, you know, like, all right, go buy some figs because that's what they eat in the Bible. I want to offer you instead some overarching biblical concepts that can help us inform our approach to biblical eating and what that means. But also you should get some figs because they are so delicious. Um, before we get started, though, I want to remind you, I need to do that from time to time, that I am not a biblical scholar. I'm sure that's extremely clear to you. <laughs> If you've been listening to me for any amount of time, um, but I am just a God put a lens on my eyeballs, Holy Spirit led Bible reader. Okay. And the, so when I put these together, it's the way that um, I feel, you know, what he's put in my heart and the way that it makes sense in my brain. 
But also, if you've been listening to me a while, you know, my brain can be a scary place because I let you in there sometimes. And so it, you know, it can be a little cuckoo. But anyway, we're just going to roll with it and jump right in. One of the first things that strikes me um, and is pretty significant when considering biblical eating is what I call the Alpha and Omega concept. So we know God said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And if you think about it, when you read the Bible, the way that we ate in the beginning when we were with God and the way that we will eat in the end when we are with God, when Jesus returns, are both plant-based and different from the way that we eat here in the middle. Okay, so I'm not totally dismissing the fact that God first gave us plant foods, you know, um, in the pristine setting of the garden, Adam and Eve ate garden food, plant food, presumably fruit, you know, that grew on trees. There was no animal eating in the garden. They weren't grilling steaks up in there. And that's because there was no death in the garden. Death had not yet entered the world. The Garden of Eden is referred to as paradise, you know, heaven on earth. It was a perfect place of harmony, you know, man with God, man with the earth, man with the animals. Man had all he needed for both physical and spiritual life. Um, there was no need. Um, there was no concept of killing animals for food. You know, food was just readily supplied. They just walked around and plucked ripe, luscious, juicy fruit off the trees and ate it. It just sounds heavenly and divine. Now, when Jesus comes back, we presumably will go back to something like that, to a non-meat-eating situation, because again, um, there's no, there will be no death. Um, I had never really put all that together, conceived of any of this, until I read the Left Behind series. I know I talk about that series of books often. You know, there's a lot of books in that series, and it it took a little chunk of my life <laughs> to get through them. Um, but not only that, um, they were really they were really good. And even though it's fiction, it's scripturally based. And so I learned a lot, you know, by reading them. And when the characters in that book stopped eating meat once Jesus returned, I, it, I was like, oh, I mean, I just really had never put that together or even I don't never didn't even know about that concept, you know, and so that was just new to me and like kind of mind blowing. And so when we read this prophetic message in Isaiah 11, you know, it alludes to this. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So everything will be restored to harmony, um, but, you know, like the lion, which we know is a carnivore, a meat eater, We'll be eating, you know, hay, straw, grass, just like a, the cattle do. Children will play with leopards and snakes and all will be well. When Jesus returns, peace and harmony will be restored like back in the garden days. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So we kind of have these alpha and omega bookends of eating, which is a vegan diet, 
right? No animal foods. Now, the question is, and the argument that is often presented is that God intended us to only eat plant foods, and so that's what we should eat. And some people even argue that we should be fruitarians, just eating fruit, because that's presumably what Adam and Eve ate in the garden. Um, Again, we were kicked out of the garden. Um, And between the perfection of living before sin with God and the perfection of living forgiven of sin with Jesus— you know, we've, we've got this whole kind of messy middle to contend with here. You know, the days of Evie, Easy Street of just walking around and plucking fruit off the tree. I mean, that is over. And while we've always had responsibility, you know, and a call to stewardship around our food, Genesis 2.15 says, God put man in the garden to work and take care of it. And I imagine that was just a really, that was really lovely, pleasant work. You know, like somebody who loves to garden feels about taking care of their garden. God established that work and responsibility from the beginning. But after sin, when we were kicked out of the garden, part of the harsh consequences of that was about food. It's interesting to note that the act of sin came through food and then there was a food-related consequence. God said to Adam, because you have listened to your wife... And I've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will yield for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread until you return to the ground. Because out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Amen. Easy streets over, friends. (laughs) Food is now going to be hard to get and grow. There will be obstacles and it will take hard backbreaking work. You're going to sweat it, you know, both physically and emotionally. I mean, it's going to be stressful. This is opposite, right? A complete 180 from what was going on in the garden. Our life inside the garden and outside the garden are not the same. Sin and death had now been introduced, and that changed everything, including our relationship with food. So that's kind of the first point, you know, the Alpha and Omega concept, which are our bookends, but not the story in the middle. And within that story, our story here in the middle, in this messy but beautiful life that we get to live, God is still our provider. The earth flourishes with real food that nourishes our body and um, gives it what it needs, Um, Just a sidebar here, because as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, it is interesting to think about the fact that God could have made us without the need for food, right? I mean, he is our creator and designer. He could have just made us any way he wanted, and that could have been with bodies that run on air. But he didn't make us that way. You know, in our earthly bodies, we are tied to the earth. We are tied to the rest of his creation, both plant and animal, sun and soil. We are tied to him, our creator, And I just, you know, with all of this, like, artificial intelligence going on in the world and how there are all these realistic human holograms and robots, you know, made that you see. I mean, I think technology can produce some some pretty amazing but kind of scary things. But we know that they will never replace the flesh and blood of the way God made our bodies. And one of the huge distinguishing factors is our requirement of sustenance from his creation to live. And I think that's significant and important for us to recognize and remember. You know, as the world tries to move us away from real food that God made with all of the processed foods and, you know, meats like Beyond Burger, not real meat, and 
you know, just that um, in, you know, we are real people that God made with real flesh and blood, you know? And so I don't know, I, that's a weird tangent, but I just feel like we're on this trajectory where the powers that be in the world are trying to make us independent of God, separate us from God, using technology to make people and make food. They are trying to be God. And, you know, eventually I think um, we're going to, quote unquote, outsmart ourselves out of real life. And Jesus is going to have to come back. Praise God. We know that he is. Anyway, our heavenly bodies will not require food, but we do now. And there is responsibility, stewardship, and dependency on God and to God tied to that, you know, and that's what the world wants to take away. But the bottom line is food connects us to our creator. Sorry for that little tangent. I told y'all my brain can be scary sometimes, but it just kind of dawned on me as I was thinking through this, like, wow, I mean, that's really the bottom line. You know, we didn't have, God did not have to make us to need food, but he did. And it's one of the things um, that connects us to him and to creation. But, you know, when we think of this, his provision, um, his provision is good. And even though his original inten intention might have been for us to eat plants, maybe just fruit, you know, he did expand his provision to include animal sources of food. When, which, when you think about it, is such a great and kind act that he did for humanity to open up this whole other avenue of obtaining food, of, of something to eat, you know, for man to provide for his family. When you think of having to grow food, you know, how long it takes, how much work goes into it, all of the possible obstacles that can interfere, you know, again, that's, that was part of our, the consequences. Um, to go from, from that to the ability to harvest an animal to feed your family, you know, like on one hand, we got to wait six months for this to grow here. On the other hand, here's a goat. You can harvest it and eat it right now. Right? What a blessing. An animal, you know, goes such a long way in feeding people. I know that when we harvest one of our grass-fed steers, it yields like 400 pounds of meat. It's unbelievable to see how much food that is, truly. I mean, that can provide a whole year of food and beyond for a family, or you can feed many, many, many families with that much meat. So for God to come back around and say, okay, now you can also have meat. You know, you're out of the garden. It is not easy to obtain food. Here, my child, you know, have this. To me, it kind of reminds me of just that parent love, you know, that that parent love that hurts when you're, you see your children struggle, struggle so hard and you just want to make it easier on them, even though they act like turds. <laughs> That's how I feel like it is like, God just, you know, wants to bless us. And, um, and he did, he did, he gave us um, a whole another way um, to get food, eat food, um, to provide food for our families. That's just kind of how I look at it, this meat giving. But also, we do have to consider the timing here, you know, God gave us meat after the flood. And so perhaps there was some necessity if all the plant life had been decimated. Um, but it was just kind of a fresh start overall after the flood, right? God wash, washed the earth clean with the flood, um, saved Noah and his family and some of the animals and made a new covenant with man that he was not going to destroy all living things on the planet like that again. 
um, and that this was a fresh start. And part of that fresh start included an expanded food supply. You know, now we can have meat. That fact that God gave us meat is incontrovertible. There's no question. It's very clear. Genesis 9-3 says, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So we can take him at his word, you know, his literal word that animals are okay to be a part of the human diet. And not only did he give us meat to eat, he even specified what kind you know, which just kind of lends more credence to this whole idea. Now, I have covered this and gone into great detail in several podcasts, podcast 121, um, which I did called The Meat God Said to Eat, and podcast 106, Should We Eat Pork and Shellfish? You know, I will do a little recap here, but if you haven't listened to those, do, because they, they, we do a deeper dive into this stuff. Um, but he gets specific about what land and sea animals we should eat. And one of the more specific directives, um, he says, you may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. Now, animals that chew their cud are known as ruminants. It includes animals like cattle, deer, sheep, goats, antelope, bison, buffalo, moose, and elk. Ruminants are unique because they have a multi-chambered stomach. Their stomach has four chambers. And this is different from a monogastric animal like a pig, which only has one stomach chamber. And so what's significant about this multi-chambered digestive system is that it allows these animals, uh, these ruminants, which are herbivores, plant eaters, to break down, detoxify, and convert this plant matter into substance, into meat meat that is full of vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and fatty acids that we get when we eat it. But the ruminant animal cleans it all first. You know, it takes about 24 hours for them to process it, whereas a monogastric animal only takes about four hours to process and digest food. So overall, meat from a ruminant is a cleaner meat. You know, it goes through a more intensive digestive and detoxification process. But also, you know, ruminants eat a wide variety of plant matter, plants that we as humans could never digest. And so we're just getting a lot of benefit of more plant nutrition with a wider spectrum of phytonutrients, you know, by way of the animal. The earth nourishes the animal and the animal in turn nourishes us. It is just this beautiful design by our creator. Now, as for seafood, God said, of all living creatures um, in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. Now, sadly, this does not include shellfish. And if you listen to the podcast I did about pork and um, shellfish, I do go into this conundrum a little deeper. Um, This one hits a little harder. You know, shellfish have so many nutrients. And so it's just, I want to ask God, why? Why do you pack so much nutrients in these things and, you know, (laughs) suggest that we don't eat them? Um, But, you know, a lot of them are bottom dwellers, which means they accumulate more toxic material. Again, I went into all of this um, more in the other podcast, but for our purposes here, just talking about what constitutes a biblical diet, the point is that animal foods are a part of that, and God went so far as to define the best sources. So I will always refer people to the baseline of Genesis 129 and Genesis 9-3 when God gives us both plants and meat, and I think that the more we stick to that, the healthier we will be. People will need to play with the ratios of plant and animal foods to see what works best for them. You know, everybody always wants to throw a 
a party for a plant-based diet, but that doesn't always work for people. I've done a podcast on this too. You know, if you look at most of the nutritional therapy approaches, a lot of them remove plant foods, not animal foods. In fact, you increase animal foods on many therapeutic diets, and I have seen this work well for people. You can listen to podcast episode 112, which is called Reasons to Use an Animal-Based Therapeutic Diet um, for more information and a deeper dive on that. And I will link to all of these cross-referenced podcasts that I'm talking about. I'll put all of them in the show notes, so if you um, just kind of need a list of them in one place, you can find it there. Okay, so the other huge concept that I think many of the Bible diet, you know, experts miss is the consideration of regionality and seasonality. Like I said, the other spoiler alert, aside from the fact that we got kicked out of the garden, is that we don't live in the Middle East, okay? The foods that grow there are not the same ones that grow in America or Iceland um, or New Zealand. You know, even Greece or Italy, where we see a lot of Bible reference, um, not the same as China or India or the Caribbean. It is a big, wide world with lots of different foods that grow in lots of different locations. You know, God put amazing um, plant foods all over the world. And our microbiomes, the ecosystems of our gut, are kind of genetically imprinted based on our genetic heritage. You know, we are genetically predisposed to handle some foods better than others based on where, you know, our people are from. And this is one of the reasons why there's no perfect diet for every person. You know, biblical people ate dairy, milk, cheese, butter, all that yumminess. But like Asian people are known for not tolerating dairy well. Um, Sadly, less and less people can tolerate dairy these days and a lot of other things because of the way food has changed and the way that our microbiomes have changed, you know, with all of the toxins that have been introduced to the world since biblical times. So, you know, it's also hard. This is kind of a a different, um, a whole different avenue. You know, we're not really comparing apples to apples here, you know, because biblical people could also tolerate some things back then that we don't as well today. Um, Like some people just really don't tolerate grains and Um, Things like wheat, you know, there's been so many food seeds that have been modified, hybridized, and sprayed with pesticides. You know, again, it's just a different world of food, a different world of toxins, and a different level of gut capability, you know. Um, So we do kind of have to factor in um, that when it comes to diet. We have a lot of modern challenges, you know, that wouldn't have necessarily applied to our biblical brothers and sisters. Um, but like I said, that's that's kind of a little a little another sidebar. Um, but when we talk about regional and seasonal eating, God made certain things grow at certain times of the year all around the world. And I, you know, I've shared this this idea before. Um, we've talked about it, but it just is comforting to think that you know we know He put just what we need um, for our bodies at the right time of the year. You know, like summer. Um, And again, this kind of depends where you live, but here summer is um, a high season for fruit, you know, like melons, which keep us better hydrated and help dissipate the heat in our bodies. Um, The winter season, we might see more citrus fruits grow, you know, in certain places with um, more vitamin C, and that would certainly help boost our immune system. Uh, The root vegetables of fall are heavier and more warming as we move into the colder months. In spring, I think of foods like asparagus that, you know, 
um, or detoxifying. You know, spring is a natural time for detoxification. So plant foods change according to season and they meet different nutritional and health needs. Um, And we also know that plants are naturally less abundant in the winter, you know, depending on where you live. So it would be a natural time of year to eat more animal-based foods when it's cold. Um, Whereas as we get into the warmer months, late spring, summer, and plants are flourishing, that's a more natural time to eat uh, more plant foods, um, more carbohydrates. Even um, animal foods would, uh, you know, change, well, would be based on region. You know, if you think of like coastal living people, they're going to have more access to fish, you know, and landlocked people are going to rely more on animals. Um, You know, sheep and goat were staples for biblical people, but a lot of that had to do with the terrain of the region. You know, those animals do well in a rocky, hilly terrain. They're just more nimble um, in those areas than a, a bigger animal would be. But then we might think of like, the plains of America, you know, the Native Americans and chasing bison across the plains, you know, those animals are native to that region. And so um, I think, um, I know that God put everything our bodies um, need within the region and season that we live. You know, he didn't make one area of the world with better foods and superfoods and then just hose the rest of the world. Like, sorry, you don't get any superfoods, North America. You know, that's not how it works. Now, of course, in modern times, everything is crisscross applesauce with food globalization. You know, you can get any food from anywhere in the world at any time of the year. And that is what we call here a blurse, a blessing and a curse. As it, um, you know, it's wonderful to have an incredible food supply, but it just makes us lose sense of what is regional and seasonal. And I think it confuses our microbiome. You know, our gut bacteria are very in tune with the outer environment and meant to work accordingly. We They have a circadian rhythm. And there are more studies being done on how our microbiome is naturally supposed to shift with the seasons. You know, that we would have certain gut bacteria more prevalent in summer to help us with those foods, certain ones in the winter to help us utilize those foods. And I think a lot of what is wrong with our guts is that our bacteria are confused because they are very receptive to environmental cues like light and temperature. And they're like, why are you feeding me watermelon? It's winter. I'm confused. (laughs) And so I think that also contributes to getting things thrown off with our guts. And I think we are confused because we don't even recognize seasonal foods anymore, you know? Um, so much of politics and economics now drive what is grown in what places. And it's just harder in general to honor seasonal and regional eating. But it's one thing I would encourage you to try and make yourself more aware of and also more in tune with. Um, Like for right now, you know, it's January, it's cold outside, and I don't really want salad. You know, in the I don't eat a ton of salads in the winter. That's just kind of a natural instinct. You know, lettuce is cold and wet and it doesn't really naturally grow in the winter. And it's not what my body is drawn to at this time of the year. But a lot of people at this time of the year, because we're, you know, it's a new year and we're all renewed in our vigor to work on our health and our, our weight and all that kind of thing, they think they have to eat a lot of salad um, every day as part of their diet if they want to succeed. Now, if you love salad and it feels good for you to eat that right now, go for it. I'm not saying don't. But I am saying... If that feels incongruent for you, 
you're not wrong either. You know, I mean, I could beat myself up and be like, man, I'm a nutritionist and I don't want to eat salads. What's wrong with me? But I mean, my gut bacteria don't want salad right now. They want like stew, (laughs) hot meaty foods. That's what I want. I want to be warm and nourished, you know, and I want some heavier meat to get me through these cold months. Um, But to me, it's very in line with biblical eating, you know, Um, because you know, I'm honoring the season. I'm honoring the region. I mean, I'm eating meat that we raised on local grass. There's just, is there anything more biblical than that? <laughs> um, sometime this makes me think I ought to do a podcast on intuitive eating. That's kind of a, a buzzy, you know, word, buzzy phrase, buzzy concept. Um, but that can work for you or it can work against you. You know, there are some body systems that need to be functioning well before we can be totally led by intuitive eating. But I would say if there's something like the salad thing that's coming up for you or, you know, smoothies or, um, you know, shakes or or cold juices and you're like, I just don't want that. <laughs> that isn't that sounds horrible right now. And then you're like battling yourself because you think you have to eat a salad every day or just you're failing, you know, because you can't eat a salad every day or drink that cold shake or smoothie. Um, just hold up a minute, you know, and before you dismiss it as your failure (laughs) um, or dismiss it as failure, just, you know, it's okay to question that. Um, And just, you know, think about seasonal and regional eating and just think of if perhaps maybe that is what your intuition is leading you to do. Um, But again, if you want to eat salad every day, knock your lights out. That's great too. Um, And that just kind of brings me to a good a good place for my next and final point here, which um, about a biblical diet, which is the fact that, you know, no matter what you eat, God loves you. And there is absolutely nothing, no food that can come between you and the Lord. It has absolutely no bearing on your salvation. Romans fourteen seventeen says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we, we know that, you know, Jesus declared all foods clean, right? He said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And so it says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Okay. And finally, one more um, verse from 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, which says, food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do. So that is, um, that is a very important part of biblical eating. You're not a better or worse person based on what you eat. You know, whether you fast or don't fast, if you live off kale and grass-fed beef or you live off sugar and white flour, you are not a superior or inferior person based on your diet. And I think a lot of diet dogma people need to remember that. Now, are we going to feel better physically and be healthier when we eat the way that God intended? Yes. And that's the reason we do it, to feel good in these bodies that take us through the gift of life, you know, to be grateful for the way that we're made and the provision that we're given, to honor these bodies as vessels of the Holy Spirit meant to do 
his work in the world. And that is, you know, that is the bottom line and the true definition of a biblical diet. You know, if we have to kind of boil it down here, it's eat real food the way God made it. Eat plants, eat meat, eat regionally, eat seasonally. Know that the creator of our body made the perfect food for our body. Know that we don't eat to please God. You know, he's pleased with you just as you are. We eat well to feel well so that we serve well, right? Okay, my friends. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I'm always so grateful that you're here and we can talk about these things together. If you have any ideas or comments about it, let me know. I would love to hear them. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week. I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.